0: Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. On this week's Player Development Project podcast, we answer a question from our community and try to offer up advice on practical problems faced by coaches around the world. Hi everyone, welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Pleased to be joined as per usual by my colleague, PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you going?
1: I'm good, thank you. I've got a bit of man flow, so um, apologies if I cough and splutter during this one.
0: That is less than ideal. We'll, uh, we'll hopefully uh, get a sultry, sort of dulcet voice from you as a consequence of that. So we'll battle through, mate. And uh, we've got a very interesting question this week. Uh, comes in from Jody via the PDP Facebook page. And the question is, how do you develop individual learning plans and then evaluate them? So a really good question from Jody. Dan, what are your initial thoughts on this one?
1: yeah I think this is something we sort of could break down into three parts, so first of all, how would you go about doing an individual learning plan um what does the individual learning plan look like that maybe part two, and then part three would be um how we evaluate them if we should I know you've got quite an opinion on that so if we if we sort of break those down into the three parts so the first part would be um how do we sort of start the process of um you know the learning plan mm-hmm. for me we we'd have to we'd have to go about understanding the player so I know this is something. I've written about something you've written about on the on the website so perhaps just understanding everything that goes on all around the players is that is that something you want to try and explain
0: yeah couldn't agree more so obviously we've talked about the idea of socio-cultural constraints in the past and how they are basically environmental factors that influence the player on any given day so that might be the age of the player whether they're a q1 birth or a q4 birth so is relative age effect at play it might be their family environment it might be their context on the day have they had a tough day at school what is their school environment like do they have any medical conditions so knowing this kind of thing about your players on an individual level is going to help you understand what their needs are at certain times. So I think when you talk about those socio-cultural constraints, you've got to account for those and what you're trying to get your players to work on or what what you're trying to get them to achieve over the course of a season. What are your thoughts around those ideas?
1: Yeah, I suppose it it just goes sort of back to understanding people, doesn't it? And so, you know, all the sort of the the complexity that humans have. So whether that's, you know, they're struggling at school, they're struggling in their family life, or it could be the flip that everything's great. But those, you know, sort of give you the the platform, don't they, to to understand how much the player can learn or if they want to learn or or where they are in their journey. Because this also could depend on how much experience they have, if that is the right word, of football, so if you're talking about young players, if they're 10, they could have five years of organized football in them, yeah. or they could have 18 months. So then you are assessing and judging, you know, perhaps just with your eyes, these two players look very similar, but actually they're completely different. Um, so so, that, so that's a good example of, you know, just understanding all of the context around the player. So social cultural is probably the, the, the sort of the, the, the language, but just understanding everything that goes around the player is how I sort of put it in, in, in layman's terms. Yeah, definitely. And then,
0: No, sorry, mate. I was just going to say and on that note, I think the other thing to consider is the the culture that's around that. So, you know, we've talked a lot about complex systems and player development uh, through many of our contributors. And the idea that obviously that player is at the center of it and they've potentially got a family culture around them. But then you've got the team culture, um, the club's culture. And then you've got the national sporting culture, or even the broader national culture. And how do those things affect the way the players sort of express themselves on the pitch or the way football's viewed? So, obviously, I've just made a transition from London to Melbourne, and the, the two locations are very different in terms of how football's ingrained in each city, what the sort of cultural history and background of the sport is, and, and I guess how they're looked at. So, it's been a really interesting observation for me. And I think you've, again, got to account for these things when you're starting to make some targets and make some plans for your players.
1: Yeah, they they definitely influence, don't they? And and they definitely play a part in how much the, the, the player can learn or where the players at in that sort of nonlinear journey. So jumping on to sort of second part of the the um the conversation. So how would you actually do the learning plan? What would it look like? So this is something that we could probably spend four hours talking about. <laughs> um so it could be influenced by exactly what the player needs and you could just pick one thing for them to to absolutely absolutely hammer or it could be that you use the fa four corner model and and try and do you know maybe um a strength in an area for improvement across those four corners or it could be linked to your own um your own club's philosophy so you know if you've got a club that's got four or five or or ten you know targets it could pick you know one one in each thing i think you've got to be careful that you don't oh you know overkill this so you know the kids have got 15 targets. They could be playing the game and their head could be spinning around about which target they're concentrating on. I think less is more sometimes with these things. What, what's your what's your view on that?
0: Yeah, look, I think it's something that, you know, as, as I've sort of evolved in my own coaching journey, I've sort of come to appreciate the idea of less is more. I, I really I like that as a term in coaching. I think sometimes we can be over the top with the way we deliver or the way we speak or the amount of work or expectation we put into players. Um, so I, I do like the idea of taking a simple approach. Um, So one example might just be setting a player one technical target on game day or one psychological target on game day Just to focus on and that might be a a target that runs for 6, 12, maybe even longer weeks um, That you might say to the player right this is if you are say using the four corner model It might be a technical tactical um, psych and then a physical uh, kind of outcome that you're looking at Um, And that may run for a period of time and then what what you're looking for is is how much ownership you can give the player. So obviously with very young players, they're probably not going to have the knowledge to just come up with their own ideas um, in terms of technical stuff, but you can guide them there and you'd be surprised what what young players can come out with in, in terms of being in tune with their own learning and their own progress and what they need to work on. So I think, you know, as much as you can, um, relative to the age of the player, you've got to give them some kind of ownership as to what they want to achieve. So, what's what they want to achieve is then going to be, um, I guess, you know, driven by their own motivation, and they're going to be very uh, want to take some ownership of that if, if they set their own targets. And I think then if you can have that conversation with the player, maybe the parents involved as well, and you're, and that way you, you as a group have then got clarity over what this player is trying to achieve. And it's not just about the scoreboard or league tables or results. It's actually, well, we were working on Johnny's left foot today and he failed three or four times, but in failing, he learned three or four really good things about what decision to make or how to execute technically. So there's there's loads of outcomes that can happen. I mean, would, would you do it in a shared sense or would you sort of take control or how would you look at it in terms of setting these targets it's up,
1: yeah. I mean, going go back to where we started, I think it, it depends on the individual. If you've got somebody who's quite self aware, uh, and perhaps somebody who understands where they're at and, uh, and where they want to be in that gap, um, that's normally quite a straightforward conversation. So you can sit down and say, You know, what are you good at? What would you like to be better at? and, and they can usually from sort of maybe 10 to 11 gives you quite a good answer of well you know, I'm good at scoring but my left foot is not as good as my right foot or Mm. you know, I'm good at defending but I struggle in 1v1s, I'm much better in a unit. And then I suppose that's the skill of the coach to maybe guide the conversation a little bit where where you want it to go. that does really depend individual to individual because there will be some kids that say, well, I don't need to work on anything. And so that that that's, can be a challenge. And then there's some that maybe will list 25 weaknesses, and then perhaps you, you know it's become um, the opposite outcome of what you wanted. You might have quite a negative effect if you're looking at it like that. So I like the idea of the, the less is more. I like the idea of the kids having maybe – two or three maximum targets of things to work on and, and using that four-corner model is quite a safe way of doing it and, and, and also um, gives you more of a 360-degree view of the player because I think as coaches we tend to look in that technical and tactical and maybe even physical side of the diagram rather than the social and psychological one. So this yeah. is something we've talked about in a Q&A before but challenging kids in the psychological and social box has probably got more um, long-term outcomes than the other side. I think if you could say, you know, can you show resilience by? Um, when when the team or you make a mistake reacting positively or something in more probably child-friendly language, <laughs> but, but, but a way a way of, of, of Quickly getting them to refocus and say that mistake didn't matter We're on to the next thing and that's going to drive the technical anyway, so using back, you know, linking back to your example of um, crossing with my left foot that is you know dealing with adversity is resilience is confidence you know and you could you could dial into any of those and say um you know keep practicing on your left foot and when it goes wrong you know don't be scared to do it again Mm. something like that Um, and then in the social box have you got if you've got any examples of sort of social targets you could give people
0: Yeah, look, I think, you know, you can look at leadership, you can look at teamwork, um, ownership, you know, responsibility around the changing rooms. There's lots of social outcomes, you know, it might be one that, you know, we leave the place better than we found it, um, which again, you can tie into concepts like sweep the sheds, which have been been made famous through the book Legacy, which we speak about a lot. Um, You've also got um, ideas about leadership in terms of taking ownership of warm-ups you know it might just be something as simple as saying to the players right you're responsible for the first 15-20 minutes of the warm-up the coach is only going to run the last 5-10 to 10 minutes or it might be the players do the whole thing it depends on the context and the situation and I think going back to the technical side of things as well we've spoken previously when talking about stretching players who might be at the top of the group it's important to make sure that you're encouraging kids to work on their, we- uh, on their strengths as opposed to always their weaknesses um, Um, It's easy, I think, to be critical and find problems or flaws with players, but I think it takes bravery as a coach to say to a player who's a 1v1 specialist, go 1v1 every time or, you know, make the right decision to go 1v1 and back yourself or set them a target. Can you beat somebody 12 times 1v1 in this game and really get them doing what they do best? And I think working on strengths in terms of setting these targets means that players are going to have a sense of, um, you know, confidence around what they're trying to achieve. And whilst we're working on those strengths in the background, we can be tidying up things that might be areas of weakness, but making sure that they're not just a focal point. So from a positive psychology point of view, I think that's quite an important idea.
1: Yeah, I love the term um, super strength. So, you know, what are you good at and can you turn it into a super strength? And then um, probably wouldn't use this with the kids, but in terms of assessment, if that is the right term, it's unacceptable weaknesses. So things that are actually going to hold us back. So we've all got things that we could be better at, but it's about perhaps rounding off, or you know, that those things that are going to stop us competing at, at the level we'd like to. So, so not like we've talked about this before. I don't think you can be a ten out of ten in everything. So if you're already a five or a six in something, can you turn that into a super strength? So um, I always use the example of Ian Robbins finishing. You know, everyone knows what he's going to do, but he still does it because he's pra- practiced that cutting getting and shooting left foot. You know, he's been doing that for I don't know twenty years and mm. still, you know managed to do it twice against Arsenal in the Champions League this season just gone but one of the things that that he was not so good at that he had to get up to a standard that could mean he wasn't you know an elite player so that that's like a quite simple model of what is your super strength or what can we make your super strength um what are your areas for improvement and what is your unacceptable weakness or something you know you might have to think about the language there that's sort of coach's language Mm. rather than kid's language but what are the things that are going to hold you back
0: Yeah, so now that we've sort of gone through the idea of, you know, how we select those um, areas to work on, the strengths, we get to the sort of third element that you mentioned. What are your views around how we assess it, how we evaluate it, what do these words mean, um, and how we actually actually sort of sit and review and reflect with the player? How much of that is led by them? How much is led by the coach? And what what role do the parents have? I mean, what's your experience and ideas on this?
1: What a big question that yeah, is! Sorry, I've you up there. I suppose I would start with thinking about where does the valuation come from. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of linked for me to do with school, and it's kind of linked with process and um, having output of numbers. Mm. So you know, x amount of people can do a amount of things, mm. but that isn't really why we coach, and that isn't really what it what it's about for me. I suppose. In an elite environment, it's all about a productivity of producing players to play at whatever level you're aiming to do. And then perhaps, you know, from a, a district or a county or a representative side, it might be how many players go on to the next level of maybe national. And if you were coaching a school team, how many players could go on to play. But then there's so many other outcomes in terms of developing people, which is what sport is a great vehicle a great tool to do to develop people to make better players and better you know better uh, individuals so it's quite messy i think one of the things that i i i I know you agree on it is the sort of the comparison between players so we should be talking maybe about dave this is where you were six months ago and this is where you are now that's the most powerful thing Mm. and where do you want to get to not dave you're here and billy's here because it doesn't really matter where Billy is. 100%. Um, that, that's that's really, really difficult. And, and do you know what? If you're working in a, in a grassroots environment, you could do all of this individual stuff, so get to another player, get to another social, uh, cultural uh, environment around the player, plan the individual learning plan, and then just check up with the kids. Just check how you're getting on. I don't know if we need the next bit. I don't know mm. if we need you're an A, you're a B, you're a C, you're a D, because we're then judging the player over 25 things and like you've got world-class players so if you had if you had Neymar what's Neymar's defensive heading like well it's not an A is it so 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 his super strength is this so does that mean we grade him on all these other things Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Dead, dead Messi would be my answer.
0: Yeah. Look, I think I think the um, the best way of referring to it is going back to Al Smith, who's spoken a number of times with PDP, and he's written for us. He's been on webinars, and and Al talks about the machine metaphor. So yeah, in a performance environment. We might be looking at hard data and statistics to define what success is on a game day and so on, but when it comes to youth development and, and, and children 's sport, i think it 's important to keep in mind that human element first, so I think you 've nailed it with the danger of social comparison. Um, I think evaluation can be a risky thing i think we've got we all, we all want to know where we 're where we're at, but the fact is we 've got to be comparing it with ourselves and and that kind of um, that process and that progress and that journey that we're on. So if you can see that a a player is making progress and putting the work in, um, then you can obviously give them that that message and say look we've seen this we've observed this if they're struggling for example it might be around the idea of resilience or emotional control maybe they're dropping their head and they're reacting poorly then what are you, what are you going to do as a coach to actually address that you can't just say well your attitude's not good enough because there might be reasons going on around that you' got to work with the player so I think it's about constant reflection and I think the more we can encourage players to drive that process in terms of reflecting whether it's after the game the day after maybe when they're Ocean settled a bit, or just during the week around these targets, it's important that they're in tune with what are the goals. And, and going back to another interview we've done uh, with Dan Machichi around his work with the England under 16 setup, uh, which is in issue 11 and 12 of the magazine, you know, Dan referred to the idea that five targets might be enough uh, for five years for some players. You know, that might be all they can cope with and all they need again depending on the individual. So I think it's I think it's one of these things where evaluation is is driven by tradition, I think giving uh, having to have metrics to de- to decide how we're going is driven by adults and driven by sort of marginal gains and high-end performance sport. And that doesn't necessarily correlate to children's sport. So I think it's gotta be managed, but I would definitely advocate for self-reflection. And we've got some content around this. We've got an article from Sean Douglas, uh, The Art of Self-Reflection, in issue one of the magazine. Great article, um, a number of articles, sorry, with different player interviews. And I think when you, when you, we have spoken to players in the past, whether it's Harry Kuehl, Wesley Schneider, uh, the late Johan Cruyff, uh, Brad Guzan, Eusebio, different players who have made it to the level, a lot of the lines of questioning in there was was about understanding their journey and, and they're very in tune with the ups and downs that they had. So highly recommend those magazine articles with some top players. Um, And also there's seven different research reviews um, around motivation in the PDP Research Review Library. So some great content there. Um, Any final thoughts on this sort of process from you, mate?
1: Yeah, I I had two things that just sort of popped in whilst you were talking. The first one is would would you be more comfortable um, with that evaluation or assessment being comparing them um, to an elite player? So if you said, Dave, this is where you're at now, this is you know where we'd like you to get to, and this is what it looks like for you to 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 make the grade, I suppose. Mm. so that's that's the only time I'm more comfortable with it personally. Rather than comparing Dave to Billy, I'm saying, Dave, to get you know to scholarship level, it's going to have to look like this because there is there is more of a a necessity and a need. So if it's if we're if the if the the chart's going in the right direction and you're going forwards, that's great, but actually if the chart needs to be, two steps higher up mm. then i think that in my mind that tends to be okay because i'm saying you know for your for your left foot to not hold you back it's going to have to get to this standard. Yeah. Are you comfortable with that as a look? As I, a level? I think it
0: depends on your environment. So I definitely advocate for, for young players having mentors and role models. And I think there's a there's a lot to be said for that aspirational sort of ambition and say, look, I want to dribble like Messi, I want to strike a ball like Ronaldo, and how do they do it? And how hard did they work to get there? I think your context, the the, the context has to be relevant to the level of players you're working with. So if you're in a, a very entry level grassroots environment where kids are learning the game, then perhaps compare them to one of the top players might not be the best example but I think in sure. terms of aspiration, 100% I think kids have got to aspire to their idols and to their mentors and I think that gives them something to strive for and there's nothing wrong with having that goal to be the best you can possibly be, I mean that's going to develop and, a winning mentality and one of the successful most, people.
1: Yeah, successful people One of the most powerful things to do when you're coaching is to say this is really good this is great mm. but what would it look like if Barca were doing it, what yeah. would it look like if Bayern Munich were doing it and then the kids will just say well it'd be quicker, well we play with less touches well with school or whatever it is so that's that was why it sort of jumped into my mind in terms of an individual learning plan because it's great being where you are and going forwards but if if we're trying to aspire to a level then what does that level look like and Mm -hmm. I understand what you're saying with maybe beginners and grassroots it could be it could be um, more more harm than help but perhaps with players that are performing and are achieving you know if we're winning every week or if we're you know finding the game comfortable you can say this is great but actually if we want to go to this, um, to this next platform or, or level, if that does exist, what does that look like and, and how would that look in our training and that would sort of drive your plan, if that
0: if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. and it's, it's about that improvement and that journey of just constantly striving to get better, whether you're a player or a coach. So hopefully we've helped Jody with that question and shared some ideas there. I'd love to hear from the PDP community as to what you think. Dan, thanks so much for your time and expertise once again, and we will look forward to another PDP Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.